Hello everybody, welcome back. This is Kyle O'Shields. I'm sitting across the this round table inside today, not in the garage because it is freezing cold outside. But across from me is Dylan Brown. What's going on today, Dylan? I'm, I'm glad that we've made that executive decision to come inside. Um, we tried to rock a heater uh, in the studio and uh, just, again, I said this last week, but, and you know, if you're listening in like the other side of the country, maybe a different country, then you're just not going to relate to this. But uh, us Georgia folks, we don't experience very cold weather a lot. <laughs> like very cold weather to me is 40. And anything below 40. And we don't experience that much. But when we do, like we are this week, it is brutal. And uh, I'm a soft person. So I'm glad that we're inside where it's nice and warm. And we still got the coffee out. I am drinking. I'm actually going a little uh, below my standard of coffee with a community coffee. Uh, That's literally a brand. The brand community. Uh, But... My wife did come in clutch. You know, I've been drinking this this hippie creamer recently. That's just it's called Four Essentials, and it only has like a little bit of sugar and like base like natural stuff, no oils and gums and all that stuff that I've talked about. But instead of the sweet cream, which let's be honest, sweet cream is plain. That's a, that's a fancy way of saying milk. Uh, she got me the caramel, and it's still just as hippie and natural, but it's good. So I'm digging it. Yes. Well, I'm drinking the it's a Starbucks uh, mm. holiday blend. Mama. Although I really don't taste much holiday in it. I don't know. Uh, it's supposed to be, I don't know what they said, something about stronger or something. Mm-hmm. It, it tastes like a dark roast, mm. but it says medium roast, so I don't know. It's pretty bitter. You know, it's weird. I, I like dark a dark roast better because it just feels like it has more pop, but they say the lighter the roast, the more caffeine. Yeah. So that's Whatever. strange. Yeah. I'm going to look into that. <laughs> yeah, but the dark is, it's too bitter. It tastes mm. awful. Mm. <laughs> but, all right, well, welcome back. I don't think I said it in the beginning, but welcome to Caffeinated Bible Chatter. Um, and for the ones that have been listening, we are still on this series of the mission, right, of evangelism. Um, and then a couple weeks ago, we started this off with the first episode. I think we titled it The Mission. Mm-hmm. Or What um, is the Mission? Somewhere? Yeah, What is the Mission? So if you missed that, go check it out. Um, and then last week, we talked about we said we were going to talk about relational evangelism versus confrontational evangelism. So last week we looked uh, closely at relational evangelism. And then this episode here, we'll look at confrontational. I think we're still on that. Um, but yeah, if you missed relational, go back, check that one out for sure. Maybe go listen to that before you continue listening to this one. Um, but I think this will be the last episode on this series. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, I think so. Um, probably move into uh, maybe not 100%, but kind of model the the rhythm that we talked about before we started this series because we came off all the King James stuff. And that, uh, I can't remember how many weeks that was. I think it was four, four yeah, or five. It took a minute. Yeah, yeah it was a little <laughs> bit longer. So, um, but that Hebrews passage uh, in chapter 13, where we talk about just being balanced and, you know, Proverbs, I think 18, one it is talks about being balanced and so we want to be balanced in our christian walk in our life and so we also want to carry that over into this and and uh you know like we said not just talk about super deep things but also talk about some practical things that's going to affect us uh more on a daily basis but like i said like i said at the same time 
um, we're not going to shy away from the other things because I don't, I don't, I don't myself take the approach to say, well, if that doesn't necessarily help me on Monday morning, I'm not going to look at it because uh, if it's in the Bible, it's profitable. It's what Second Timothy three says, and so we're going to attack all angles. And so I think next series, <clears throat> we're I don't know how long it'll be, uh, but we're going to do. We've t- we've been toying around with the idea of doing a series on strange doctrines or weird doctrines or something along those lines and just they won't necessarily all be connected but they'll all be weird yeah. <laughs> uh, that'd be my you know my, my thing so like you're just not going to hear uh the the weird the weird doctrine stuff at a you know like a mega church like you're probably not gonna hear it at any church on a normal sunday morning but uh it's just one of those things we're going to kind of have some fun with it and um like I said, if I'm just being honest, we like to mix it up because those kind of episodes just do better. So we, we like to mix it up and throw both angles. And like I said, we're in, at the end of the day, like if you're listening to this, this podcast, there's a good chance that you're a student of the Word or that you are becoming a student of the Word. And I'm not saying that because like me and Kyle are some special students of the Word because we're not. Um, but like for instance, like the King James stuff. You're not going to be somebody that just doesn't really care about the things of God. Like you're just kind of like, eh, you know, just love Jesus. You're not going to be that person and listen to our listen to most of our episodes. Like this podcast is just not for that person. We want anybody to listen to it, but if somebody is just like, I don't think doctrine matters. I think you just need to love Jesus. Yeah, you're probably not going to like our podcast. So that's why we do like to kind of mix in a little bit of everything. And uh, if it's in the book, we want to talk about it. So well, that's what we're going to seek to do. Um, but. Uh, so yeah, like Kyle said, the, uh, you know, we may, we laid out what the mission is and we may come back to this series and like break down the three, the other two components of the mission because we talked about how the mission is evangelism, it's discipleship and it's sending. And uh, we're, we kind of gave a broad brush of everything in the first episode, but then last episode and this episode, we're just talking about evangelism. Last week being relational evangelism and then this week being confrontational. Uh, but we may come back to that in the future and, and do more like a little two-part deal, three-part deal on discipleship and then maybe sending. I'm not sure. But uh, we've at least laid some groundwork that that may be a possibility. Um, but in this whole thing of evangelism, of course, like I said, we we know that in John chapter 17, the Lord Jesus, he tells the Father that he's finished the work that he gave him to do. And it's a weird thing because he hasn't gone to the cross yet. And that is certainly something he had to do and, and needed to do for the sin of the world. And he does that two chapters later in, in chapter 19 of the book of John. Um, but the, the, the work he's talking about in John 17 is the work that he did with his disciples. And so there's some things there that uh, even for us dispensationalists, they understand that the Gospels are before the, the, the death of the testator, before the death of, the, of, of Christ. We know that there's a transition there. Um, and the book of Acts is that transition um, into a new dispensation, the church age as we call it. Uh, but nonetheless, we see Paul model the very same thing uh, that Jesus lays out in John 17. What does Paul do? He goes out and he's preaching the gospel. He's going out and he's, he's building up saints in the faith, those that receive Christ. And then he's planting churches, sending others to do the same thing. He sends Timothy to a church. He's doing all of he's He's doing the three legged stool of, of the mission. And so it's certainly not just a, uh, you know, a, a just following the Lord Jesus type of ministry. No, no, no. This is just a New Testament ministry and what he's called us to. And so if he's called um, 
churches to do this, to evangelize, to disciple, and to send out, then what makes up a local church? Well, it's what, what makes up the universal church? Well, it is believers that are in the body, that are a part of the bride of Christ. And so that is our same, our same call as an individual. I need to be giving my, my life to those same three things in my own life and then plugging those people back into a local church. So last week we broke down relational evangelism, and that's, I would say, like if I'm honest, it's probably the most effective uh, way to evangelize. Um, it le- definitely in today's time, maybe it's always been the most effective way, I don't know. Uh, but I don't think we just need to completely kick out confrontational evangelism because the Apostle Paul's ministry is heavily involved in this. Um, like they're out on this, the Apostle Paul goes into synagogues randomly, starts preaching. He goes in, out on the streets, starts preaching. Um, and, you know, like like street preaching, like the term street preaching, if you're a Baptist, uh, you probably have heard that and it maybe has a certain connotation in your mind. I'm not saying you go out and you hold a big, like, okay, I'm a Braves fan because we live in the Atlanta area. I've been to Braves games. And I've walked up on the, the, the walking paths to go to the stadium, and there's a guy, and why he feels the need to wear a suit, I don't know, but he was wearing a suit, and he's got a big sign with Jesus hanging on the cross, and it's a good verse. It'll say something like, Acts 16.31, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. And he, but he's, you know, he's hollering, he's doing the preacher voice, you know. And you know what? He's doing more than me, probably. Uh, but it's weird. <laughs> it's weird. And so, I, you know, I, that's not my style. Um, but like I said, I mean, what that guy could tell me is he could say what D.L. Moody said, and he could say, I like the way I'm doing it better than the way you're not doing it. And so, you know, I would tip my hat to that if that's what he said. Uh, but... It, uh, confrontational evangelism doesn't just simply have to be that kind of thing. Like We kind of joked about it last week, but it doesn't just have to be me walking up to somebody and saying, are you going to hell? You know, like... Turn or burn. Turn or burn. Like, <laughs> I mean, I'm sure there's people that have gotten fruit from that, not because of that line, but just because eventually they give them the Word of God, the Gospel, and the Gospel is where the power is. Um but I just think that's, you know, there's a certain way even in confrontational evangelism to approach it. And so that's that's kind of what we want to do uh, in this episode. And and really, I think we can tie confrontational evangelism back to relational evangelism. Like they, they're both needful. And let's just be honest, sometimes confrontational evangelism is, is, is important because I'm not going to have the ability always to build a relationship with somebody. Now, with technology today, that's more available, but like I gave the plane scenario. If I'm flying to uh, Orlando or wherever and somebody else is flying beside me and they're flying to Orlando just to hop on another plane to fly to Miami, like I'm probably never going to see that person again. But maybe, you know, a few words could be said as regards to the gospel and that make an impact on their life eternally. Um so sometimes it's needful, and so we're going to just tie these in together. And really, the two passages I'm going to attack, and I think we can find the same things take place in both passages for confrontational evangelism, is John 4 with Jesus at the well in Acts chapter 8 with Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Um, but maybe as we start, Kyle, if you want to go to uh, maybe Proverbs 11.30, the same. Um, we, we started off with this verse last week, or it was kind of our main thought. Um 
coming into just evangelism and just how you know it calls us to evangelize and the great the great uh, reward you know makes me think of the reward that comes with evangelism. So go ahead and read that, Big Cow. Yeah, Proverbs eleven thirty. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. And so, like I said, for me, when I'm looking at that verse and breaking it down, my biggest takeaway that stands out to me is the Lord saying, hey, the guy that gives himself to this work, he's a wise dude. Why is he wise? Well, because he's investing his life in e- eternal things, things that will out- outlast his life, that things that will carry over into eternity. And so we talked about this kind of stuff so much with the, with the uh, End Times series that we did. But you think about eternity and just the, the millennium alone where Jesus sits and rules and reigns in Jerusalem. That's a thousand years that we have the opportunity to rule and reign with him if we'll give our life to eternal things now. So why would I take the approach to live it up for pleasure and carnal things now for maybe 70 or 80 years, however long the Lord gives me, and trade that in for the thousand year kingdom and reign that Jesus Christ has and has offered me the ability to take part in that with him if I'll give my life to the right. Like that's, that's just a math equation. Like I don't have to be real spiritual to say, yeah, I'd rather, I'd rather focus on the thousand-year deal. Uh, uh, kind of the way my mind works, um, you know, like I'd rather take a two-week vacation than a two-day vacation. Like I'd rather, you know, I, I'd rather go all in on that but simply because it's just a math equation. Like the second one lasts longer. So, um, you know, just, just kind of, that's, so that's the way my mind is wired when looking at Proverbs 1130. And that's the, that is what drives me in that and drives me to want to soul win is, man, look, it's a wise thing to do. Uh, we talk, you know, certain investments, some investments are wiser and smarter than others. Um, and when you think about the investments of our life, some things are smarter than others. And I want to give my, myself to those things that the Bible says is, smart and wise. Uh, so I tied that into Colossians chapter four last week and just laid out three simple things. That being that we must live the gospel. Our testimony has to back it up. We must speak it. It actually has to verbally come out of our mouth. It can't just stop with us living it. It's not this thing of lifestyle evangelism because you can go your whole life in lifestyle evangelism and I bet you won't lead many people to Christ. Um, we got to eventually speak it. We got to preach the gospel. Yeah. Well, what was the uh, I don't know the reference where Paul says, how do they know unless they hear? How do they hear unless they be a preacher? Right. Roman, yeah, Romans 10, 14, and maybe carries it into 15. But yeah, Romans 10, 13 says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Okay, that's awesome. Great promise. But then verse 14, he says, how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? How shall they, uh, or how shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe on him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And the preacher is a proclaimer. And so that's, that's you and I's job if you know the Lord Jesus. And so we must live it. we got to speak it. And then we we got to pray. Because uh, at the end of the day, it's the great commission for a reason. And that is because it's not, all, uh, it's not all on the Lord. He needs vessels. He needs people. He needs soldiers to, to obey. Uh, but it's not all on us. God has to be involved in the equation because we are limited and we are... Uh, our ways are nowhere near as high as the Lord's, and so we need Him to be actively involved in this, and so that's where prayer comes in. So, confrontational evangelism. So I wrote, I looked up a definition for confrontational 
and this is just like a simple modern dictionary.com definition, uh, but it says to deal with situations in an aggressive way. And so like if we would all kind of agree with that, because like the, the, the phrase confrontational evangelism is not in your Bible. We're just describing it, you know, like simply how we would in today's vernacular. Um, but when I think about confrontational people, I think of several people that I know. Uh, you probably think when I say confrontational people, people come to your mind. And so we all know what that means, uh, but it is, is exactly what the definition says. We think about people that are just, they're, they're kind of aggressive, and they, they're not necessarily mean people, but they're just, just they're, they're just, woo, you know, like you know they're there. If something comes up, they ain't shying away from tango and whatever that looks like. And so um, that really is what confrontational evangelism is. It's me saying, you know, I'm willing to engage this person in an off-the-cuff situation with the gospel, even though it's... Because what, what do we all know about confrontation? It's awkward. It's awkward. You get around a confrontational person for a week, and you're like, good gosh, I, I, need, a, I need a cigarette. <laughs> Something like that. Uh, I don't endorse smoking, but there you go. Um, so we know we know what confrontational is, but that's, that's kind of what the, the definition is. So... Now, I will say this, we need to, we obviously don't want to be, uh, you know, rude when we're approaching people. I guess I gave the example of the guy that's street preaching or whatever, and that's, you know, do that, do with that what you will. But we don't want to be rude. We want to present the gospel in a, in a, in a kind manner. But at the same time, we must always remember that the gospel in its nature is offensive. So even though, even if we do it with a smile on our face, we got the, we got a Jimmy Carter smile and we're just, uh, you know, sweet as pie and, uh, you know, sugary as honey. And I'm just trying to think of every, you know, sugary. Uh, but if we're that, um, and then we still present the gospel, there's still going to be people that are offended. Uh, that's still going to happen. And the reason that is is because the gospel is two-thirds negative, And the gospel is telling people that they have a sin problem. Because if you're presenting a quote-unquote gospel and it doesn't involve them being a sinner, then that's not the gospel. Because if why did Jesus go to the cross if we're not sinners? And so it is an offensive thing. And so this is, you know, as we approach people, we need to do it the right way. But we always got to be, you know, reminded of the fact that not everybody's going to receive it with just a big old, a big old hug and, and a warm thank you. Um, like I said, now that shit, they shouldn't be upset with us because of the way we presented it. That's kind of what I'm, I'm trying to get at. Uh, but nonetheless, it is an offensive thing, so we have to keep that in our mind. And that's again, that's where prayer comes in. And when we we need God to, to lead us and to guide us and the Spirit of God to be active and at work in every single conversation. Yeah, I think uh, because it's offensive, that relational evangelism is actually easier. Mm-hmm. Right? Because you've, you've built that relationship, so you've got easier access to them. It's easier to talk to them. Yep. Right, they're maybe better accepting what you're saying because you've built a relationship. Yep. With with it being, you know, a tough subject. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's where like the plane situation, or like at a restaurant with a waiter or waitress or something like that. If you just bust out the gospel, you know, who knows how they'll respond? It, it is still a seed planted, and so I, that's why I think it's still needful. Um, and there's no guarantee we'll run into that person again, and maybe nobody else will ever tell them the gospel. And this is a rare thing to do this, to, to do confrontational evangelism. And the reason why we know that is, 
or the, at least the reason that I know that is, is I am, I am 29 years old. I'll be 30 years old this year. And I live in the South, which is supposedly the Bible Belt. And I've never had anybody come up to me cold turkey and present anything close to the gospel, ask me a gospel question. Uh, you know, nothing, I mean, I've had people come up to me and say something like the Lord's coming soon or something, but, uh, and that was very rare too, but I've never had somebody present the gospel to me or even really, I don't think hand me a track except for the Jehovah witness. They do a good job with that. Uh, it's just a different track. So, um, so it's a rare thing. And so, you know, that person that we see in that one-on-one moment, it's still needful to sometimes present the gospel because, we may never see him again, and there's a good chance nobody else is going to do it. And uh, they may not have the same knowledge or background that you do uh, or that I do, and so they may not know how the gospel can apply to them. So we just got to keep those things in mind. So um, into John chapter 4 is where I'm at. And like I said, I want to I want to highlight some things from John 4 with Jesus, how he evangelizes the woman at the well, and then... This, this this guy that I would say is a stud for the Lord named Philip in Acts chapter 8. Uh, he's a great study. He's a great uh, he's a great study just to just to study his life and the scriptures. And but I think there's a par- some parallel between these two uh, these two passages. So in John 4, if okay, if I'm going to be effective in uh, in confrontational evangelism, then there's going to be some things laid out that I need to give my life to and obedience to in John 4 and Acts chapter 8. Okay, now let me say as a sidebar, um, I don't, you know, like I said, we don't edit these much. We're pretty raw and real. So if you hear some sniffling and some a moan every once in a while, uh, I do have my big dog, uh, Mac, my son, with me. He's two. During this podcast, he's wanting to get into the podcast scene. He's, he's a big Big lover of the Word of God, and so I uh, just always like to make that known. So if you hear something weird, you're not like, what's going on? <laughs> All right, well, let's move forward. So these things that are laid out. Okay, the first thing I want you to see is that Jesus in John chapter 4 was intentional. Okay, he was intentional. So in John chapter 4, uh, verse 3, it says, he, to my Jesus, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. Okay, now... But then verse 4 says, he and he must needs go through Samaria. Now, why is that a big deal? Okay, if you look at a map of Israel, Judea is, I actually don't, I've taught this before, but off the top of my head, I may have this backwards, so don't kill me for this. But Judea, I believe, is at the south corner of, of uh, is in the southern part of Israel. Galilee in the northern part of Israel. And in the middle of that is Samaria. Now, when, when understanding the geography of it, you would say, okay, well, he has to go through Samaria because that's a straight line. That's true. But Jews didn't do that back then. Because if you know your Bible, Samaria or the Samaritans were half Jew, half Gentile. And they were not looked at as equals. They were not actually very fond of them at all. The Jews were not. And so people didn't go through Samaria. What they would literally do is if you were to look at a map, they would take this huge detour. Uh, They would walk like your grandma drives. They would take this huge detour out of the way, the long way, just to get to that other that other place. But Jesus here, in a specific way, lets his disciples know. It says, and he must needs go through Samaria. Okay, so he's doing something on purpose. He's doing something that is outside the grid of what's normal for, for the culture of, of Israel, for the culture of a Jew. 
And really confrontational or relational evangelism, either way, these things will apply. But evangelism requires us to have a mindset that is anti-cultural, that is not with the norm with the normal grain of, of an American, or if you're even if you're not not American, probably applies to you too, with our culture's lifestyle. Okay, that is what is such a problem with Laodicea today, with the end times that we're in, is we're at the end of the church age and people are lukewarm. And the the reason why it's it's easy to be lukewarm is because everybody's lukewarm. And the culture says to be lukewarm. And the culture is directed at being lukewarm. And that's the, by the way, that's the Christians. We're not even talking about the lost who doesn't want to do anything with Jesus. I'm talking about the people that claim to name the name of Christ. They're that way. And so they don't want to rub anybody wrong. They don't want to, they don't want to go against the grid. They don't want to get outside the box. So if we're going to be effective soul winners, it's, you know, whether relationally or confrontationally, we're going to have to be super intentional about evangelism. So with our with the, with the youth that I lead at my church, we actually did a series not long ago entitled How to Be Consumed by Evangelism. And the reason I entitled that, we hit several passages, some of, some of these same passages we're hitting on, these, on this podcast, but we went through these different passages and what we were trying to lay out, and I was trying to scream to these teenagers is if you don't get consumed by evangelism, like it doesn't take over your life, there's a good chance you're never going to be effective in it. And the reason why is because it's it's hard to do. So it's it's sort of like this. Let's take an Iron Man guy. An Iron Man is a is a is a race, a cardiovascular endurance race where you run some, you bike some, and you swim some. You got to look it up. And they're crazy distances. This is what I know about an Iron Man. You're not just gonna you're not just gonna wake up one morning and go, you know what? I may mess around with this Iron Man stuff. Just see how it goes. Like you ain't doing that. And the same thing's true with evangelism. An Iron Man is intense, and an Iron Man is something that nobody's doing, and they're not doing it for a reason. It's hard. And evangelism is like that in the Christian life. It's intense and it's hard, and it's nobody's doing it. Because of that reason. So if I'm going to actually be an evangelist, it's going to have to be something that consumes my mind. And that's where the intentionality comes in. Yeah. That's, that, when yeah. you're saying consume and talking about, you know, with your youth or whatever. Yeah. First uh, Corinthians 16 came to my mind. Uh, this is Paul again. Verse 15 and 16. In verse 16, he's telling you, he's saying that ye submit yourselves unto such. Well, what is he talking about? Back in verse 15, he says, I beseech you, brethren. So he's, he's talking to saved people, Christians. Mm-hmm. I beseech you, brethren, and toward the end of this verse, he says that they have addicted themselves to yep. the ministry. That's so good. he's saying, be addicted to it. Be yep. addicted to the things of Christ. Be addicted to soul winning. That's right. right. Yeah. <laughs> and to go with that, we have this one guy that we like to listen to uh, named Alan Shelby. And he he has said before that everybody's going to be addicted to something. We are People are naturally have addictive personalities, even if they don't think they do. And he says, so choose your addictions wisely. Yeah. And that really is the truth. If you're going to be addicted to something, why not let it be? That's why he who wins souls is wise. Because it's not, an, it's not something that most people are going to give themselves to. But I believe if, we're, if I'm going to be a, a, an effective evangelist, it's going to start with this intentionality that Jesus says, hey, I'm, I'm going to go against the grid here. And I, I, I got to go through Samaria. Yeah. 
I mean, I think the reason most people aren't doing it is like as Romans 12, one, we've talked about before, but it says, present your bodies, a living sacrifice. Right, so he he wants workers. Yep, he want, he right. wants living sacrifices, meaning right now while you're alive, yep. while you're down here, yep. and and nobody in this layout of sea and time period like you were just talking about. We don't want to sacrifice anything, right? Uh, we don't right. want to sacrifice time. Yep, on the ministry or anything like that. Yeah, it takes away from our <laughs> self pleasure. That's right. So we see here from John four that, like I said, Jesus. He's intentional about what he's doing here with this woman at the well, and that's and we're going to give a parallel how Philip does the same thing. But that is what that's going to have to be the fabric of our life. We're going to have to be intentional and give ourselves the soul wing on a daily basis. So it's like this: when I wake up on Monday morning, one of the th- how how I'm intentional about things is that it's in my mind a lot. So like I like golf. If I want to be better at golf and practice golf, you know what's in my mind a lot? Getting better at golf. I'm not just like, oh yeah, I forgot. Like two weeks go by, and I'm like, I forgot I wanted to get better at golf. Like that's not normally how it works. And so the same thing, you know, it's true with evangelism. So we got to be intentional. And again, it says in verse four, and he must needs go through Samaria. Secondly, not only do we need to be intentional if we're going to be effective evangelists and effective in confrontational evangelism, but number two, we have to go to him. We have to go to the lost. And we made that very clear last week in, in the episode. But, you know, Colossians 4, 5, which I cross-referenced with Proverbs 11, talked about, uh, it's, it uh, talks about going to them, or uh, walking wisdom toward them that are without. And so that's the, that's the whole nature of the Great Commission. The whole nature of go ye therefore and teach all nations is that we're actually going to them. Not that I am holding a church service and I'm, you know, putting, you know, I'm trying to, make my sign the best it can be. And there's nothing wrong with that, obviously, but that's my, my sign and my social media and the, and blah, 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 blah. That's not necessarily going. That's trying to get them to come to me. And I, I think there's time and place for that, but we have to remember that our, our call is to, to go to them, not expecting them to come to me. So it's <clears throat> same thing is true. And this has been true in my life uh, a lot. You know, I'll even I'll say I'm getting I'm going somewhere where a conversation could be struck in, and I'm I'm really praying, Lord, give me an open door. Well, sometimes what I mean by an open door is God bring somebody my way and and, and get them start talking to me, and it just flow into God, a gospel conversation. Well, sometimes an open door is going to be me being the conversation starter, and me engaging them. And so that's what all this is about, going to them, is me engaging them, not expecting them to engage me. So back in John 4, we see, again, verse 4, and he must needs go through Samaria. Um, verse 6, it says, now, now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There, Verse 7, there cometh the woman of Samaria to draw water. So he's just at the well. She's coming to the well. And notice what happens. Jesus saith unto her, give me to drink. Okay, so Jesus is the conversation starter here, not the woman at the well. And he's obviously gone with with a purpose. He's not just accidentally shown up at this well. He know, knew what he was doing. He's gone here for a reason. Uh, and, he, and once he's here, he is the one that engages her. And so that's so crucial. We're going to see the same thing with Philip. Okay, uh, but he actually, he goes to them. And then so if I'm going to be effective, I've got to be intentional. I have to go to them. And then thirdly, just like last week, after that's happened, I've got to at least somewhere, some point, speak the gospel. 
I've got to speak the gospel. And that's what Jesus does because later on in this passage, it's a few verses down, uh, or verse 9 actually, <clears throat> after Jesus asked for a drink, verse 9, Then saith the woman, uh, then saith, saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest ask drink of me, uh, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Okay, that's obviously showing the, the cultural problems between Jews and, and Samaritans. But then notice what Jesus says. He's engaged her. She's in, then responding. She's pretty much saying, like an American would say to me if I were to confront them with the gospel, like, what are you doing, dude? Now, this is not normal. But notice what Jesus says in verse 10. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. So what's the gift of God? We know what that is. It's salvation. And so he's, he's laying out the gospel here. And so that is going to be super crucial. So again, we got to be intentional. We have to go to them. And again, it's hard to say that I'm being intentional if I'm not going to them. That's not really being intentional. That's looking for a, you know luck. That's looking for a unusual thing to happen that, that's probably not going to happen. Them coming up to me and trying to engage me. So that I can therefore give them the gospel. So I gotta be intentional. I gotta go to them and I gotta I gotta speak uh, the gospel. Now, just kind of how we talked about last week, we have to remember that we have to get to that third thing when we're trying to evangelize, because at the end of the day, we can talk about models of evangelism, and we can talk about methods, and we can talk about what to say and what not to say and our in our character and how we approach them and all those things. And all those things are still important. But at the end of the day, we have to remember that the power is actually in the gospel, and that's why we have to speak it. And so, Kyle, if you want to go to Romans 1.16, uh, I'm going to go to Romans 10. Um, so we have to remember that the power is in the gospel and the word of God, and that's why we got to get there. So, like I said, maybe I'm a great conversation starter, but if I don't get to the gospel, then the, the purpose of that, if it's for evangelism, is that I, ne- I actually never get to the purpose. I never get to why we're striking up the convo to begin with. And so, Kyle, go ahead with Romans 1.16. Yeah. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And so, uh, the power of God is... Is the uh, the gospel is the power of God? Is that, is that how it's worded out? I'm sorry. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's talking about the gospel of Christ, and it says, "For it is the power." Of yeah, God. for it is the power. So, the power is in the message of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we can't forget that. That's why we've got to speak it. That's why we talked about last week this whole thing of lifestyle evangelism. We do need a good testimony, but if it's just our lifestyle that's giving that we think is giving the gospel, it's actually not. It, it, it's not giving it and letting them know that, hey, there is some, there's a message, and the message is that Jesus died for you, was buried, and he rose again. Okay, Romans 10, 17. So again, we said that we have to remember uh, that the power is in the gospel and in the word of God. Romans 10, 17 says, So then faith okay, cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Why is that a big deal? Well, because faith is what's required for a man to receive the grace unto salvation. So for uh, Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace are ye saved. So we are saved by the grace of God and what he did at the cross. For by grace are ye saved through faith. 
So the avenue in which we receive the grace of God to, to be saved is faith. And according to Romans 10, 17, that faith comes from hearing, I love that it says that, hearing the word of God. And so we've got to get to that place where we speak the gospel, but we ought, but it's a, it's, it should be a refresher and a comforting thing to remember and to take a step back and say, you know what, man, this is not in my charisma or in the fanciness of my words or how smart and intellectually I, I can sound. It, the power is in the gospel and in, in, in the word of God. Yeah, I was going to say hearing that, that the power is in the gospel, that that should give all of us confidence. And mm-hmm. it doesn't really, if I'm speaking the gospel, it don't matter what I'm saying. Like it's, it's not really me, right? Yep. It's the gospel's doing the work. That's right. Yep, <laughs> absolutely. And so, like I said, I, I'm paralleling John 4 with Acts chapter 8. And so those things that I laid out, and I, <laughs> and I have noticed recently, I've been given three points every time. That's just because I'm a Baptist, okay? Maybe there's a few other things you can glean from in that passage, uh, I'm, I'm sort of kidding about the Baptist saying, like, sort of, uh, but Baptists love three points. But it's just those these obvious things that stand out. Uh, but I believe these, th- these same obvious things stand out with Philip in Acts chapter 8. So I'm going to go to Acts chapter 8, and be careful if you want to go there. Um, so like I said, Philip is a great study. <laughs> I think that uh, Philip is one of my favorite people in the Bible, um, and there's there's several reasons for that, but some of those reasons will be <laughs> will be laid out here uh, in this in in this uh, passage. But Philip models these these same three things. So we said first of all we have to be intentional. Well, I want you to notice throughout Philip's life how intentional he was to preach the gospel. How do we know he was intentional? Well, because he goes preaching the gospel every, everywhere, no matter where he's going, no matter where he's heading, he's preaching the gospel. So. Acts 8.1, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Acts 8.1 is where Saul um, is consenting to, we, we, see, we see that from the previous chapter, Acts 7, where Stephen was, was uh, stoned, it starts off by letting us know that Saul consented unto his death. But then down in verse 5, we see Philip come on the scene. This is the same Philip from Acts chapter 6, who was a deacon. He was, he was ordained as a, as a deacon. He's not, this is not the same Philip that was a disciple, but this is the deacon Philip. Now, what I love about Philip is that he's a deacon. A deacon is a servant in the church, and it, it tells me that even though he's a deacon and not necessarily a pastor, but yet he's still out preaching the gospel, it shows me this dude just cares about, about doing what he's supposed to do. He just cares about eternal things. So verse 5, it says, Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. It's kind of cool how this is a parallel passage to John 4 because there's Samaritan, uh, Samaria is involved here. Now, this is the first place in the book of Acts where we see the gospel being presented to a non-Jew. Now, again, a Samaritan is half Jew, half Gentile. And so Philip, but really the purpose of this is that we're just seeing that Philip goes down and he's, he's preaching Christ unto them. Okay, then uh, further along in Philip's life or in this chapter, <coughs> we see... In Acts 8.35, and this is kind of where we'll tackle here in a minute, but it says, Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto unto him Jesus. So he goes from a a, a group session and uh, he's unto a more uh, individual one-on-one conversation. And so, again, Acts uh, Acts 8.5, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. Acts 8.35, Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto them Jesus. 
Okay, at the very last verse of Acts 8 is verse 40, and it says, and what happens is Philip, after he deals with the Ethiopian eunuch, he leaves Gaza, uh, he, and he goes uh, unto, un, he's heading to uh, Caesarea, which is where he'll dwell, from at least our knowledge, the rest of his time. Uh, and so verse 40 says, But Philip was found at uh, Azotus, and passing through he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. So he's going from <coughs> where he was to Caesarea, which is where he's going to spend the rest of his time that we have record of. And as he's literally going through these different cities, you know what he's doing? He's preaching the gospel. And that has to be in a confrontational manner because, uh, I mean, unless he just knows all these people in all these random cities, you know? So he's just continuing to do that. So we see Philip, just like Jesus, being very intentional with him desiring to preach the gospel. Okay? Secondly, we see Philip doing the same thing of going to the lost. Now, that's self-explanatory in the verses we already read, that he is, as he's going from city to city to get to Caesarea, he's preaching the gospel. But specifically, I want you to look at at Philip's encounter with the Ethiopian eunuch uh, in verse... 26. Yeah, we'll see. Well, 26 where, he first, where he's first yeah, told so, to go. and Right. So, um, verse 29. Look at what, go ahead and read verse 29 and verse 30, big cow. All right. Then the Spirit of the Lord said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? So I like, I like the way this is worded because the, the Spirit of God tells him, Hey, go. There's a guy over here. You need to hear in, in verse 30, it says, And Philip ran, and then notice this, thither to him. So same scenario. Philip is the one, in verse 31 says, And he said, I'm sorry, no, no. Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet, and said, Understandest thou what thou readest. So same, same scenario. Philip is engaging this guy. He's not waiting for this guy to engage him. Same exact pattern we see uh, with uh, the Lord Jesus in John chapter 4. So it's the very same thing. Okay? Uh, And then thirdly, we see that Philip spoke the gospel. And again, the verses we've already read are very self-explanatory in that. Um, But verse 31, after we (coughs) just finished in verse 30, it says, And he said, the Ethiopian eunuch said this, How can I, except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. Now, isn't that interesting? The Ethiopian eunuch desires Philip to tell him what the scripture is saying. But the Ethiopian eunuch never went up to Philip. Philip went up to him. And so it's interesting. I think there's probably people out there. Some people will get ticked off when we share the gospel. But there are some people that want to hear. And the the reason they don't hear is because of our lack of eagerness to actually go and, and approach them. And so we see that happen here in this passage. And so verse 32, the place of the scripture which he read was this, he was led as a sheep to the slaughter and like a lamb dumb before a shear. So open he not his mouth. Okay, and then verse 35, notice, then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. How it says that? He opened his mouth. Like just in case we forget that, the, the, the verb, verbally giving the gospel is oh, oh so important. Yeah, I think here you see a, a little bit of both, confrontation. Yeah, you do. Because it, it's a quick moment, 
but then it's also relational because Philip is allowing him to speak. He's there. There's a little bit of relationship going on there. He didn't just run up and hit him over the head with a Bible. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, and I think that is actually how maybe we can use that as the time to talk about how conversational evangelism can lead to relational evangelism. So, um, it's sort of like this. Let's say you're out, <laughs> you're out and about, and you strike up uh, a conversation with somebody. This would be much easier to do if somebody that's in your area rather than you traveling or something like that. But let's say you're out and about in town, and you go out to eat, and you stri- strike up a conversation. You know, I strike up a conversation with a waiter. Okay, I could give him little nuggets of the gospel or the word of God without pushing him and pressing him to make a decision right then and there. Because the last thing we want is somebody just to mindlessly repeat a prayer and not even know what the gospel is. Because that's obviously not going to save anybody. And so uh, it's sort of like this. Okay, I kind of get into a conference. uh, It's a confrontational approach as I've maybe say something to the effect of, do you know the Lord Jesus or, or whatever that looks like? Okay, but then what that can turn into, how it can turn relational is I could say, hey, instead of pressing him for a decision, I could say, hey, Joey, because Tori says I always use the word Joey, name Joey. <laughs> hey, Joey, would you like to, uh, you a big coffee drinker? Yeah, I'm a pretty big coffee drinker. How, how, would, you, would you maybe, uh, would you like to maybe, you know, meet up for coffee one day and we could talk more about this? And again, maybe you're thinking, that seems strange. Okay, well, again, we <laughs> It probably is, but we got to get outside our our, uh, our cultural box of what's normal and what's not normal because the callings that God put places on our lives are not normal in normal society. They're, it, it, it's just the way it is. And so that's how those two things can be tied together. So uh, one guy that we uh, were both reading a book by and we like <coughs> and uh, enjoys preaching uh, Brian Clark, he came up with this acronym to kind of engage these two things together, conversational and relational evangelism. Okay, the word ask. Okay, the word ask, A-S-K. A stands for ask for permission. So that's kind of an easy way to approach somebody conversationally. Ask for permission to share the gospel. Hey, you know, you don't have to really say, do I have permission to share the gospel? Like, I mean, I don't think it has to be that. I mean, maybe that's what you do, whatever. But it can be something to the effect of you're seeking permission to talk about the gospel with them. Okay, then S, share the gospel. This is where the verbal thing is important. You share what the gospel is. But then again, instead of just pressing them for a decision right then and there, and you know what, maybe there would be somebody that would make a quick decision to actually truly receive Christ. But instead of pushing for that, after you've asked for permission, you've shared the gospel, and then K stands for keeping uh, keep the conversation going. And that's where it turns relational because I'm saying, hey, Joey, let's meet up for coffee and we'll talk more about it. And a seed's been planted. He knows, at least in some part, what the gospel is. He's been presented with truth. And then we then can go and instead of it being an abrupt thing, we can sit down and talk more about it. And probably in the midst of that, learn more about each other. And that's where it can kind of turn relational. So that's kind of a good way to approach it. Yeah, and you can see that with, with Philip here on yep. Acts 8 where we were just reading. He doesn't, down in verse 35 is when he says he preached in the name of Jesus. Yeah. He started with just, just walking up and saying, do you, do you understand what you're reading? Right. He, he just asked him a question. Yeah, he yeah. didn't ask him if he was going to hell, <laughs> yeah. you know, in verse in the, the very first encounter. So, yep. uh, yeah, absolutely. And so, like I said, these are just, these are just things that <laughs> we find a pattern with Jesus doing in John 4 
pattern with Philip doing in Acts 8. And again, I know it's three points. You probably can find more. But these are just some things that stand out that can fine-tune our evangelism. We have to be intentional. Like if we're not, no matter what it is in life, if we're not intentional, we're not going to be effective in it. The old saying, if we aim for nothing, we hit it every time. We got to aim for things. We have to be intentional and focused and have our sights set on what it needs to be set on. Number two, we have to go to them. We got to be the one that's engaging, not uh, waiting for them to engage us because they probably won't. And then number three, we have to actually speak the gospel. So in, in Philip's life, like I said, I love studying Philip out. It's really cool because we see him from every, in every season or place in his life, he's preaching the gospel. Okay, that can look the same in our lives. Okay, maybe today I'm doing this for a career. I mean, you know what I need to be doing? I need to be preaching the gospel. Maybe my kid is in is on a basketball team. You know what I need to be doing? Like in a way, when I'm when I go to the basketball, I need to be looking for ways to preach the gospel. Maybe in ten in five years I'm over here in a different place. My job has moved me. Whatever. You know what I need to be doing there? In my neighborhood I need to be need to be preaching the gospel. That always needs to be the fabric of my life, and that is what we see with Philip's life is that it's always the fabric of his life. And so, what's cool about that to me with Philip is. If you were to do a word search on the word evangelist, because that's we're talking about evangelism, evan- an evangelist is somebody that's given themselves to an, to evangelism. Okay, they're they're preaching the gospel. All right, that's what an evangelist is. And so, the word evangelist is only in Kyle. If you want to go to Acts twenty one eight, the word evangelist is only found twice in our Bible, and it just so happens that the first time it's found, the first mention of it is in Acts 21.8, and it's actually talking about Philip. So we've seen Philip's pattern for his life. Remember at the end of Acts 8, we saw that he he was heading to Caesarea, and that's the last re- record of where we have for his life. We see that in verse 8. Uh, verse, uh, you have 20, Acts 21, verse 8. Go ahead and read that, Big Cap. And the next day we that were of Paul's company departed and came unto Caesarea, and we entered into the house of Philip the evangelist, which was one of the seven, and abode with him. And so here, Philip is actually given that title. It's like word got around, hey, this dude's just an evangelist. This dude, no matter where he's at, no matter what he's doing, this guy's life is consumed by preaching the gospel. And I think that's just so cool. Okay, we have another, so the only other time we see the word evangelist is in 2 Timothy 4, 5, and it's Paul telling Timothy, hey, he says, do the work of an evangelist. So that's the call. That's a calling on our lives. We need to be seeking to do the work of an evangelist, which really means we need to seek to to kind of pattern some things like Philip's doing, and that that you know be a big deal and a big part of who we are and, and what our life speaks of. And then I think the the verse right below that. This is just a, a sidebar thing, but the verse right below verse eight, verse nine. What's cool to me about Philip is we see this pattern that he is just consumed with sharing the gospel. And we can take away some of those things in our life, like we've talked about. Jesus does some of the same things in John 4. But what's cool to me is, you know, when talking about trying to give something to the next generation or me pass something down to my kids, you know, there's a lot of things uh, that are caught more so than taught. Now, we still need to teach our kids things. But like evangelism is one of those things. Sometimes it's it's easier that evangelism is caught rather than just taught. So it's like this. 
as a pastor, if I'm up preaching, hey, you need to evangelize, you need to evangelize, you need to evangelize, that still can can change lives and, and call people to obedience and, and all those things. But oftentimes it's 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 the pastor going out and evangelizing themselves that shows the people, hey, this is what I'm really about. And that is the catching aspect rather than just the teaching aspect. Well, what we see with Philip's life is that that, uh, you know, this lifestyle gets passed down to his kids. So how do I know that? Well, we see Philip's life and what it's all about. We see that he's called an evangelist in verse 8. Well, what's cool is it talks about them being in his house, the Philip's house. But then it says in verse 9, and the same man, it's almost like it's kind of out of context, but he just throws this in here. I think it's a cool nugget. And the same man, talking about Philip, had four daughters, virgins, and then notice this phrase, which did prophesy. The word prophesy here is, is to be, uh, you know, in, in the New Testament, is to be a prophet, which means simply to be a truth teller. It means somebody going out and speaking the truth. And so what I believe here, and this, the reason this number nine, verse 9 is even in here, is to show us this cool little deal that because because Philip truly modeled this in his life, I believe it was passed down to his to his kids. It was it was caught by those around him to the point where they're like, you know what, it became a fabric of their lives. And that really is how things work. Because you know what can ruin it and now we're getting into parenting stuff, this is kind of off the grid. But what can ruin a kid's life is when they hear their parents say one thing but live another thing. And I think it's just so cool to see Philip here, who probably taught, he probably told him, like, he's given his life to it. He probably, no doubt, as they were riding on the horse back home or whatever they did, as they were walking back home, he probably was telling them, you know, guys, we need to preach the gospel. You know, guys, we need to preach the gospel. Guys, you know, it's all about Christ. Guys, it's all about winning the lost. You know, all these things. And he was a deacon in his church, and so they saw him do those kind of things. But I really believe that that this catching aspect was such a big part of this because you know what they saw? His kids, his daughters, his four daughters, they saw the same thing that we've just laid out in Scripture with Philip. And that is that, man, he was truly consumed and given to this thing of evangelism. And so it really kind of, kind of for me as a closing thought, is really this. You know, I, I, I want to win people to Christ this year better than I did last year. And again, I'm talking about outside the context of the local church. And that's certainly great too. I'm talking about outside of that. But this is what I really believe about Philip. Uh, Philip was given more opportunities to lead souls to Christ because he was always preaching the gospel. And a reference that we can really kind of hang our hat on with that is actually uh, it's, it's 2 Corinthians 9.6. In 2 Corinthians 9, 6, the context is actually giving. Okay, so I do want to lay that out there. But I, there's, a, there's a devotional application here that's very clear. It says this, But this I say, He which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. So you, you know what, what we can see? When we talk about the the seed being sown, we see that parable in Mark chapter 4 that the seed is the word of God. This is really the deal. Philip had these opportunities because he was always sowing seed. He was sowing it bountifully, always laying it out there. And you know what? There's probably a lot of times that the the seed that Philip laid down probably didn't turn into anything. 
But because he was laying down so much seed, he had greater opportunity and greater results that the the seed that he was laying down actually produced something. It actually turned into fruit of people responding to the gospel and receiving Jesus Christ because he was just laying it out there. Again, he which which soweth sparingly shall also reap sparingly. You, you want to you reap sparingly in evangelism? Well, sow sparingly. And if we're honest, we probably have all, we all know that, we, we all experience that, probably more than we do the other. But man, if we want to reap bountifully, we've got to, the second part of that verse, we've got to sow bountifully. And we know just from a biblical principle and just a principle of life that we do reap what we sow, per Galatians chapter 6. And so, Man, I really believe that as we, in these things we can model from Philip's life and the Lord Jesus that the reason Philip did have so much success with you know encounters were because the Ethiopian eunuch later on in that text in Acts 8 gets saved. That's awesome. And if you look at the beginning of the chapter in Acts 8, people are getting saved in Samaria. There's a revival breaking out. You know why that is? Man, Philip's out there just, boy, he's, he's throwing out seed. He's throwing out seed. And so if I'm not throwing out much seed, there's a good chance it's not going to return to much. But man, may this year we sow, may, may we actually sow more seed so that we can reap more fruit and actually be what Proverbs 11.30 says and be wise. Because he that wins souls is wise. And so I think that's, again, I think these two things can be tied together relationally and confrontationally. And I would encourage you to study out Acts 8 for yourself. There's just a lot there, but this is what the Lord's called us to and man, we've got it. We've got to give ourselves to those things. Yeah, yeah. I actually wrote down. You were talking about that just asked book earlier. Mm-hmm. I wrote down four just little one liners in that book. That yeah, I, I thought were good. Um, it says if if you're not fishing, then you're not following. Yeah. So if, if we're not doing this commission, this soul winning, then we're really not not doing what Christ has called us to do. Um, number two, before we talk to men about God, we must talk to God about men. Absolutely. So prayer's a big deal. Yeah, prayer and there's, doors, yep. there's actually a quote here from Charles Spurgeon where he says, prayer and action must go together. Action without prayer is presumption and prayer without action is hypocrisy. And then Dylan mentioned the just ask, uh, but the last thing I put on here is, is don't be afraid to mess up. Right? When it comes to this soul winning thing, it's okay if we make a mess of it. That's how we learn, right? The only way yeah. we're going to learn is, is going out there and doing it. And the verse that I thought of when, it, when looking at this stuff is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 is talking about the judgment seat. We're, we're all going to, I'll just read it. Uh, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. And then verse 11 right here. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. So it all comes down to to us having an eternal mindset, staying, mm. staying focused on the things of Christ, staying focused on eternity. And if we have that in the, the front of our mind, then, then we'll, we'll be soul winners. Absolutely. We'll, That's right. We'll, we'll do that commission. That's right. Absolutely. So yeah, I guess this uh, closes out this series. Yeah. I think it's been good. So like I said, we, we can revisit uh, the other compo- two components of the mission in, I mean, maybe a year from now. I don't know, but maybe something we can come back to and then reference back to uh, the mission episode and then um, just kind of complete this. But yeah, I do think probably next week and next episode we'll kind of get into some some uh, odd doctrines. And so maybe uh, just, just stay tuned for that. <laughs> we don't know exactly what order those will be in, but we do have a, an idea of, uh, of what those... Uh, we, we have an idea of what's... There's some weird stuff in the Bible. So we're going to try to talk about <laughs> it and break it yeah. down. So we're looking forward to that. There we go. 
So stay tuned. And don't forget if you missed the beginning of this series, it started two episodes ago. So check the whole thing out on, on what is the mission. We'll see you all in the next one.